crying on the day that Donald Trump won the election of 2016, to now being a leader in the pro-life movement across the United States of America. Erin Getz joins us to share her story on this edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. And welcome to the fastest growing conservative podcast in South Carolina. I'm Dave Wilson, Justin Hall. And, you know, as, as we have talked about the things that are going on uh, life after Roe, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of, of great conversations that have gone on. We have talked about the things that are going on in South Carolina. We've right. got a bill that's coming up right now that really begins to address what's the future of abortion look like in South Carolina. Right. I think that road gets narrower and narrower, and that's a great thing. Um, but I've want to introduce you today to a great friend that I have met. Uh, met first, I guess, Aaron, we met first, what, about a year ago or so at a conference with uh, our friends at the Family Policy Alliance. And Aaron gets um, Aaron's story is just one of those that when you listen to it, you go, oh, it like takes your breath away because in, and I don't want to jump too fast, but Aaron, you know, when, when, Donald Trump was elected in November of 2016. Tell us where you were and what you're doing, because everybody else, the rest of the story, as, as, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story will blow your mind. Aaron Getz. <laughs> thank you, Dave. And thanks, everyone, for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here virtually. Um, so in 2016, uh, I was a sophomore in college at the University of New Hampshire, um, and actually, no, I was a junior. I was a junior at that point. Um, and I, I leaned more towards, uh, the political left at that point. Uh, my, my beliefs were, were very different from <laughs> what I hold now. I certainly, um, was pro-abortion. I held those beliefs. Um, I was very, I always felt that I was very pro-women. Um, and I thought at that time that, you know, women's empowerment meant that we needed to have access to abortion. Um, and that, you know, a, an unborn baby was just a clump of cells. And I really just believed the lies that the abortion industry sold to young women across college campuses, across the nation, um, just to try to, you know, continue to sell abortions and to grow the abortion industry. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So that day after the election, um, I was devastated. Um, you know, I was like, this is the end of women's rights. Um, we are just heading towards a place that I don't want to go. Um, I was, I was literally praying to the Lord to <laughs> have, you know, some kind of good come from this. Um, and little did I know that the good that the Lord had in store was not what I thought at the time. Um, but it, uh, I definitely was not in a good mood that next day. <laughs> but so, so no particular political candidates to mention here, but you definitely weren't on the Donald J. <laughs> Trump bandwagon here. The, that train was not driving through New Hampshire for you. Right. Um, and, and we'll hold no we'll hold no offense to anybody in the Northeast for for your political views. So on that particular note, when you start thinking about as as a millennial, junior in college, strong female, you're really trying to get out there and 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 make a mark in the world, and all of a sudden you get Donald Trump, and you're going like really but something happened in the life of Aaron Getz because this is the part of the story um 
I'm not going to quite go Damascus Road on you here, but <laughs> there was a real change that took place because, folks, this is the story of Aaron Getz. Pro-life, sorry, pro-choice millennial in college becomes a leading advocate for the pro-life movement working in states all across America to build up the pro-life movement. Aaron, how in the world did you go from election night 2016 and crying to what you do today? Yeah, so it's it's a long story, but I'll try to get it down as, as much as I can. So um, when I went first to college, um, and granted, I was, I was raised uh, in a Catholic home, um, but I really never thought much about my faith. Um, never thought much about, you know, issues like abortion until I was on very much a political bubble of a, of a college campus. Um, and I, you know, really wanted to go to a big state school, do the whole Greek life thing. And, you know, I thought that's what, you know, the big college experience was. Um, and once I got there, I slowly began to realize that, you know, the, what the world, what Hollywood is selling us about, you know, college life and Greek life and all of that was not what I thought it was going to be. And I just, I felt so, you know, unfulfilled. I felt empty. Um, you know, it just was not what I thought it would be. Um, and it just, it started to cause a lot of anxiety. <laughs> um, and I had this kind of existential crisis starting to build up slowly beginning in my sophomore year. Um, and that's when my mother, um, God bless her, <laughs> she gave me a book called The Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson that some of your listeners may be familiar with. Um, and it's basically just a prayer based on first Chronicles four, nine through 10, I believe where Jabez is asking the God of Israel to, um, bless him indeed and to enlarge his territory to keep him from harm so that he would be free from pain and the God of Israel grants his request. And so the whole idea of this book is really memorize that verse very well. Yes. Yes. It's, I have it on a mug. Um, thanks. (laughs) No, I really do. I don't have it with me right there. Yes. Yes. I, um, I don't have it with me, but my lovely roommate one year for Christmas, put it on a mug for me. (laughs) Um, but I shout out to her. She's great. Um, but so I started praying this prayer and the whole idea is that we, we shouldn't be afraid to ask the Lord to bless us and to be with us um, because he wants to shower us with his blessings. And so I started praying this prayer and, and then things started to happen. And it was the first time that I really recognized that the Lord answers prayers and that prayers aren't just like thoughts and good vibes we send out into the universe. <laughs> like there's a, there is a God and he answers prayer. Um, and so it was kind of a long drawn out um, conversion from there. And it wasn't until my senior year of college that I was just anxious as heck. And I knew that, you know, all of the worldly offerings to try to ease that anxiety was just not fulfilling what I needed. And I needed peace. I needed and what I didn't realize until I realized it was I needed the Lord. (laughs) Um, And then I had this moment where I just knew it was time and I am Catholic. So I went to confession and I just went and talked to this priest and um, laid it all out. And the first words he said to me in that confessional were welcome home. Um, And I just felt an unfathomable peace and just had never experienced mercy like that. Um, And that was, that was when I met Jesus. (laughs) You know, there, Justin, that's one of those places where um, I, I I tear up, I teared up the moment she told this story um, when, when we were meeting um, a little while when we were in, uh, Arizona. Uh, we were, we were at the, at a meeting there. And, and I think the thing about it is when you hear that part of the story, when you hear that welcome home, it just 
really impacts the way that you think about Jesus welcoming you and calling you into into that part of of a relationship with him you know and i think i think back justin to to the times in our own lives where we've really begun to see the things that god's been doing and you're going wow those were turning points in our lives but you know there's a specific one um you wrote something in your journal um on election night which <laughs> it is is almost prophetic so I want you to, do you have that? Because I'd really love for you to share. Uh, folks, uh, as you're listening or as you're watching us today, Erin uh, Getz is with us. She is a pro-life leader uh, working with a major pro-life organization here in America, uh, engaging folks on the grassroots in states all across our country. Erin's um, story is one of, of real life change where Jesus has called her out of a place of, you know, every other thing that's out there that's telling women the way to be empowered is through abortion Mm -hmm. instead of through life. But you wrote something on election night or the day after. The day after. Read, read, do you have, do you have it there? Listen, listen to this folks, because it's absolutely amazing. So it was a whole journal post, but I'll just read the end because this is where Dave and I were reflecting earlier about it. And it just, it's so funny what the Lord does. So <clears throat> what I said at the end was, uh, what I do understand, however, is that God works in ways I could never know. Um, he's planning for something greater. Every test that God gives us will bring humanity and his people closer and make them stronger. This election has only inspired me through his grace that I need to be an advocate for our system. Despite the results, this election and this government, this country is in need of love. And through him, all things are possible. <laughs> so, So now that you read it, almost, gosh, now six years later, mm-hmm. the double entendre, I guess, that was is playing itself out there is just an amazing thing to read on this side versus where you were on that night. Where were you that night? What was going on in your head? Um, I was devastated. I just couldn't understand, um, you know, how m- these people who called themselves pro-life in America could, could let this happen. Um, you know, I just was so frustrated and I felt like it was such a huge loss for women. Um, and I didn't, you know, obviously realize at the time that, um, you know, pro-life is very pro-woman. <laughs> um, but it just, I was, I was devastated. I was, I was in shock and unbelief, quite frankly. So, it, I mean, New Hampshire got a lot of attention during that cycle. So I was very much involved in it and I was a political science major. So it was very much a part of uh, everything I was working on while I was in college. Which we understand in South Carolina because, you know, as an early primary state, we say this all the time, we, we outswing our weight politically. I mean, New Hampshire, golly, New Hampshire's even New smaller Hampshire's than even us. smaller, yeah. Wow. Okay, sorry for I had to, <laughs> had to ponder on that thought for a moment. But, you know, when you think about it, the, the fact that you have to have every political candidate come through New Hampshire yep. just as much as they all have to. We tell everybody, if you want to move into public housing on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, you have to come to South Carolina first. Um, and, and that's an important thing. We're going to take a break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Aaron Getz, really taking a look at how do you take and, and go from being a pro-choice to being a pro-life, not just advocate, but leader in America. We'll be right back. 
Christianity has done more good for more people than any other entity or force in the world by far, period. Allie Beth Stuckey is coming to Columbia on October the 15th. Join Palmetto Family Council as we welcome Allie Beth along with multiple prominent conservative voices as we gear up for we the fight ahead. We will not be deterred. We will not be intimidated. We will not be shut up. We will not sit down. We will not slow down. We will double down. Tickets go on sale September 1st. And we're back here on the fastest growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina. Justin Hall, Dave Wilson, Aaron Getz with you on this edition. Obviously, you just saw Allie Beth Stuckey coming to Columbia on October the 15th, Dave. That's going to be an exciting day where we're gearing up for not only the 2022 elections here in South Carolina, but we're talking 2023 is right around the corner, as you mentioned before the break. Presidential candidates, the road to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue starts right here on Gervais Street, down down in Charleston, up in Greenville, Florence, Augusta. And the beauty of that is it also flows through places like Iowa and New Hampshire, Correct. where Aaron gets you were a student. Wow, that was good. I, you know, I've tried this one before. Where, where, where you were a student in the University of New Hampshire uh, back in the 2016 cycle. Um, and, and as we were talking about before the break, the the life change that took place in you when you actually came to that point where you you got that relationship with Jesus really impacted how you began to see the world. What really changed for Aaron Getz at that moment in your life? That's a fantastic question. I, you know, at that time was just first trying to establish like biblical truths in my life. <laughs> I needed to figure out, you know, I knew who Jesus was at this point, but I didn't really know who Jesus was. So I needed to take some time and really, you know, learn what the gospel was all about. Um, I got plugged into a Bible study up in New Hampshire um, with some really lovely ladies uh, who were definitely a bit older than me. They called me the college girl uh, at this Bible study. It was hysterical, <laughs> um, but they were just, they ministered to me and really helped me to learn more about the gospel and to live it out and equip me. And, and through that, and then through um, some work that I was doing at the state house in New Hampshire, um, I started to really, you know, come to terms with the fact that my beliefs on abortion um, were not in line with my, my beliefs. Um, I was, I was, I wasn't understanding why so many, um, you know, Christians were proclaimed pro-lifers when, you know, I thought that, you know, being pro-woman uh, was being pro-abortion um, and that that's inherently, you know, the moral good. Um, and so I started to question, I go, okay, well, I, I don't think I've ever taken some time to really look into why they believe what they believe um, and what that foundation is. So I, I really wanted to get a, um, a more like scientific reasoning of, of why they are pro-life because it just didn't make sense to me. And I did a lot of research. I had no pro-life friends whatsoever. So I had to do it all on my own. <laughs> um, so I looked into great organizations like SBA List, um, Live Action, um, you know, Charlotte Ozier Institute, all those kind of organizations that put out really great materials. Um, and what really gutted me was um, Live Action had has these videos, um, which they've since revamped uh, recently this year, called abortionprocedures.com. Um, and it gives a cartoon depiction of what an abortion procedure actually is. Um, and I saw a late term abortion and it just gutted my heart. Um, and I just, I, you can't deny, you know, the humanity of the child when you see that. Um, and, and then further from that, learning the actual harm that it does to women, you know, psychologically, physically, emotionally, 
Um, and soon from there, I, I had to walk it all the way back to conception because the pressing question is, okay, well, if you don't support late-term abortions, then at what point um, do you, you know, think life begins? Um, and I couldn't find any scientific answers that, you know, supported the pro-abortion arguments. So I you know, had to look into it and then slowly realized that, you know, majority of biologists, 96%, I think is the number of biologists. Wait, 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 are you, a, are you a bio? I, I, I just want to be, okay, okay. okay. Just wanted, <laughs> just wanted, just wanted to see. I, <laughs> uh, I do know that I can read. Um, yeah, and exactly. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the Lord. Yes. Bingo. So Bingo. I, uh, I, I realized 96% of biologists agree that life begins at fertilization. Um, and if that's when life begins, then that's when I'll start standing for life. Um, so it just became so abundantly clear to me. And at that point, um, was pretty quiet about my beliefs. I had many, um, pro-choice, pro-abortion friends. Um, and it was honestly terrifying to think about talking about it or even bringing it up and suggesting that there might be a different way to look at things. Um, and it wasn't until I left, you know, New Hampshire, New England area and came down to Virginia um, and was surrounded in a community of faith. I just have been abundantly blessed. That was one of my first prayers when I, you know, first met the Lord was that he would bless me with, um, believing friends with Christian Catholic friends. And, um, he abundantly answered that prayer. And I have just been surrounded by a community of faith that supports me and has really encouraged me to use my voice, um, for the unborn. Well, I want to ask you this, Aaron, let's, let's, let's kind of go back. We mentioned before the break, you wrote in your journal about the Lord answering prayer and using okay. using the election of uh, the former president uh, as a catalyst for he's going to do something great. And obviously, I think that maybe maybe uh, God's sense of humor is always interesting <laughs> uh, how that works because I, I think and and honestly, this is not an isolated incident. I believe there are plenty of examples throughout Scripture actually that show that God is unchanging in this that He will use different leaders that you might not even agree with at the time to further his kingdom and to even further the gospel. Uh, it's neither here nor there. My my question, though, is when you started looking into the pro-life side and reckoning that with your understanding of the Christian viewpoint at that point, right? Your, your Christian viewpoint, you said, was very pro-woman, very pro-choice, and you didn't understand how you could be this side pro-life and be Christian. And and there are other people on the other side that go, well, I don't really understand how you can be the other one either. So as you begin to search and as you begin to look for answers, being a poli-sci major, being involved with, with different political organizations and such, as many young people are, how did you separate the political from the religious? I'll put it in that phraseology. Did they just go go together and coexist no matter how much you tried to separate them? Um, you know, I think it, it started more so with my faith prompting my curiosity. And then from there, that's where my academic side kind of took over because you know, if if we only look at the life issue as a faith issue, it, it's simply not true. It's a it's a scientific issue. It's a human rights issue. And so I really had to use my critical thinking and research skills to look into, you know, information that objectively points that life beginning at conception um, and that, you know, the humanity of the child is real. Um, it begins at fertilization. And so I it wasn't necessarily the two fighting against each other, you know, my faith and my political, you know, or academic, um, you know, skills, all of that. 
Um, it was more of my faith prompting that curiosity and then really taking the time to use, you know, my mind <laughs> to read, um, think critically and kind of assess what information is out there. And as we move into, we mentioned coming off of the break again, I, I don't know why I like transition so much. We mentioned coming in off of that, the, the Gear Up conference that we're going to be having and looking ahead to new, this next generation. Right. And this next generation, and Aaron's been on the front line of this, uh, being with different You're on the front line groups. of this. I mean, that's uh, the thing well, about that. I, I'm, I'm deferring right. to the guest. The right. point is, uh, the point is there's, there's a new generation, Aaron, that we are going to be living a majority of our life out from under Roe v. Wade, out from under that ruling, whereas some people who might be a bit older than we are. Are you really going to go there under, right now? Like, seriously, we're really live, going there right now? Okay, so. They live they yes. lived under the Roe decision yes. for the vast Thank majority you. of their lives. And, and now we're out from under that. And states, as Dave mentioned, are moving forward in pro-life legislation, maybe leaving it up to the people. I don't know. I love federalism. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. The point is, Aaron. It allows some states to be stupid. It does. Okay. And we get to so see it. Yes, like, exactly. So when you're, moving, when you're moving into this new era and this need for this new generation of pro-lifers like myself, like yourself, and for those who are watching, what would you say to them as they begin to search for trying to answer the questions. The rhetoric is strong. Uh, many have deemed it a cold civil war at this point, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. What advice would you give them as they begin to search to try to reason their stance, if that makes any sense? How do they reason their stance with their faith, with the analytical as you have done? What would be your advice to them as we move forward into an after-row world? Well, that's a really great question. I think my my first uh, offer of advice would be to make sure that you have a community that is of friends and family who are supporting you um, and who are encouraging you because it's it's really hard to be bold when you know those who are closest to you are are not supporting um, your moral beliefs. Um, the second would be to seriously you know do your research, read books about what you know the the philosophers, what political ideologues, um, scientists, what they're all saying about life and about abortion. Um, know your research, know your facts. You don't have to be, you know, the best apologist in the world to be able to talk about life as an issue. Um, you just need to, uh, you know, understand the basic biological facts, um, know the harms that it does to women. I mean, in every single abortion, there's at least one um, one person whose life is taken and another person is harmed. So, I mean, that's a very basic fact that you can you can share with anyone you're talking with to about this. Um, so I think it's, you know, making sure you have a community of support um, and then doing your research and getting comfortable talking about this and really growing um, and asking the Lord for courage and strength to have those conversations, those difficult conversations, because it's certainly not easy at first. Um, but I think, you know, giving yourself as many tools in your belt as you can. And I know I'm not perfect, but, um, you know, I do what I can and, and don't, don't let your lack of knowledge, um, you know, really try to, you know, knock you down. Like that's just another call to continue pushing forward, to keep, continue to educate yourself, um, and fight for life. That is one of those things. And, and as we had talked about things previously, surrounding yourself with a group of people you didn't have pro-life friends in New Hampshire when you were at college. But, but when you, you moved to Washington, DC, you, you did some work lobbying, you were, you know, did the whole K street thing. So, so with that, 
but you you found a group of people. Talk about the group of people that you found and how that really helped to solidify you in in your your groundedness about being pro-life and then how that drew you into where you are now. Absolutely. Um, so when I moved down here, um, I joined my local parish, um, got involved in a women's group and slowly started to meet some incredible, incredible people and women of faith um, who are my dearest friends now. Um, and most of these women have been pro-life for their whole life. They have been involved, uh, you know, in going to 40 Days for Life and going to the march, going to, you know, various different pro-life advocacy um, events and and really also getting involved in like local pregnancy care centers, supporting them. Um, so they they have always been, you know, walking the walk. Um, so to have their experience and support and to kind of make it like, a, well, duh, we're pro-life <laughs> and make that a normal thing was just kind of eye-opening to me. And as I grew in my passion for the pro-life movement, because I think there's something about changing your mind about an issue like abortion that really propels you to be an on-fire advocate. And I don't know why it's that way, but it's something about like, how do other people not know this <laughs> um, and needing to be propelled forward from that? Um, so as I was growing in passion, I just had the encouragement of my wonderful, wonderful friends to continue to pray into that passion, to encourage that passion um, and the opportunity when it presents itself to, you know, further the pro-life movement with your own skills and the gifts that the Lord has given you. The answer is yes, very easy. Um, so it was, I, I am so in gratitude to my in incredible community who supports and loves me and um, has made it. Um, it's not always easy to be a pro-life advocate, but they've made it um, a place of, you know, support and a strong foundation because um, it's a shared foundation in faith. So <laughs> so we, we, we mentioned right off the top, Erin, and we're here with Erin Getz uh, talking about her pro-life story. Uh, you, we've talked about the day that Donald Trump was elected. Um, again, for as any presidential election, half the country's excited, half the country's scared to death. That one, I believe, was more exacerbated than any we've had previously up until 2020. Let's talk about the day that Dobbs is overturned. Um, that I know where that, I was. That expression that on expression, her face yeah. said, said said tons right there. You yeah. know, I know where I was. I was sitting right we, here in the office when it happened. It was one of those things for me. You know, in in the as a former journalist, I like get into breaking news mode, and it's mm -hmm. how do we get the story out there? These are all these things happening, and and then Aaron, there's the aftermath of the decision which has had its spiraling effects in a number of different directions. But for you specifically, what happened in your circle of friends and, and the people that had been around you for so many years as you were growing up, the day of Dobbs? Yeah, so I'll preface it with this. Um, I was dead asleep when Dobbs was overturned. <laughs> Um, no I had just like sleeping in on Friday, Friday morning. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Well, in my defense, I only had I was I was flying back from a trip, and uh, because there was a ton of storms on the East Coast, 
Uh, my flight had gotten canceled and rescheduled like four times. We'll, we'll, we'll give you. We'll have a. We we'll have, have a pass for that one. We'll let you we'll let thank you. you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and so I had about mm, two hours of sleep that night. Um, so once I got home and hit the hay, and I woke up, and I was kind of in a daze, like, "Oh my gosh, Dobbs is overturned. What? Uh, <laughs> like an overturned row? Uh, I was wide awake. Uh, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Um, and so I just, I was kind of delirious because I was so sleep deprived. So it took me a while to really like register that row, uh, was overturned and I just felt immediate, you know, it, you know, excitement, gratefulness, um, and, you know, just such, such pride for all of the people who have worked for decades to make this happen. Um, I, I, I've only been in the pro-life movement for about four years. Um, I think it's four years. Yeah. Um, and so it just was expressing a lot of gratitude for, for all of the people who led to this moment, um, and all the prayers that led to that moment. Um, but certainly, um, those who, you know, I was acquaintances with who were pro-abortion, um, were not as enthused with the decision. And, um, certainly there was some personal attacks, but, um, it's kind of gets to a point where people who haven't talked to you in a few years, um, you can, you don't have to respond to every single person. Yeah, yeah you can live. You really? can live with it because <laughs> because I have fa- I have found that being called a domestic terrorist uh, typically doesn't really matter to me if I don't know you. No, I mean if you demagogue me as a hater. Okay, <laughs> okay. you don't know who I am, so cool. that's all right. But but these were but you had friends, you had acquaintances at least that right. that were your friends in college, who were basically taking you and throwing you under the bus questioning everything about you what did that mean for you um you know in the gospel jesus says when they hate you don't be surprised they hated me first um and so that has been something that you know has stuck with me um and you know i i've most of those people who you know were not happy um i are not people i've stayed in touch with for a number of years Um, and those who are close to me and maybe disagree with me on the life issues, um, you know, they, they, you know, support me doing something that I'm passionate about. Um, but we've always been able to have civil conversation, which is a blessing in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, the Lord predicted this, (laughs) um, and it gives me a lot of peace to know that, um, this isn't something that's just new. Um, it's something that our Lord endured. And if he's calling us to be like him, that's part of being like him. So Aaron Getz is, is with us. Aaron has, has stepped into a role where you are working in states across America to encourage grassroots level kind of involvement in raising awareness of the pro-life issue in communities all across America. You've been to states all across America, uh, really pushing on this particular issue. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back to the day after Dobbs, mm-hmm. Justin and I are heading over to the state house, and there was this crowd of people that were in front of the state house with signs that we are not going to repeat. We can't. We can't against, um, against my religion. There you go. Mm-hmm. And there were there were several things against our religion that were actually being there said were. on those signs. There were. But in you know I guess Aaron, you can kind of tell sometimes we get a little sarcastic. There was this moment, Justin, where I just wanted to step up and go. I am so glad 
that you all agree with the Supreme no, Court decision. No, the Supreme Court decision was racist. Dude. It was not racist. It was the right decision. It was a, it was a trampling of democracy. It was, okay, if you're trampling democracy, then why the heck are you on the state house grounds? Because it was trampling democracy, Dave. Okay, so in trampling democracy, when you say that the Supreme Court says that we're going to give this back to the states. No, the Supreme Court didn't do that, Dave. Supreme Court trampled on the rights of individual citizens. Ah, uh, and that's where the argument could begin to break down. Because the reality was, Aaron, every single one of those people who wanted to sit there and gripe and complain about the Supreme Court and what they had done, standing in front of not only our state house, but probably just about every state house in America. And the U.S. Customs House in Charleston. Just, I'm not just, just saying that's not a government building anymore. I don't care. Okay, I'm just saying it's not. It's but a very fancy looking building. It's a fancy looking building in downtown. It's across from. Well, we'll it's go into from that the one. city market. There you go. City market. City market used to be the slave market, Shh. but it's not anymore. So, so Aaron. So when these people start showing up at the state house and they're wanting to say that they're they're standing up, you're going. You must absolutely then agree with the Supreme Court decision, which gave this back to the states. And they're looking at you like you're stupid. And you're going, no, the reality is the 10th Amendment actually means something. And our Supreme Court said that. When we think about that, you think about the work that you did when you were you know, working in the New Hampshire legislature, uh, the work that we have been doing here at Palmetto Family, uh, that you see happening with organizations, our sister organizations all across the country. Why is local political involvement so important? Because... The reality is there's 7,383 state legislators across America in the 50 states. When you take that number and you break it down, just like in South Carolina, there are 170 members of our state legislature. And the Supreme Court said to all 50 states, it's now your responsibility to decide what abortion laws are going to be in your state. That's why we have what we call the cold civil war. You've got some that are states that are very pro-life, some that are very pro-abortion. So... When you think back to your days working in the in the legislature in New Hampshire, when you think about the work that you're doing now and engaging with local communities and, and with states all across our country, why is that local involvement so important, especially now after Roe when we have the Dobbs decision? That is one of my favorite questions. So uh, in my time working at the state house and, and even before then, I when I was a student, I took a state and local government class. And I was like, wow, so many state level policy decisions really impact your day to day life. <laughs> um, and not that, you know, the federal level doesn't impact your day to day life, but it just kind of became apparent to me that a lot of um, what impacts us in the law um, every single day is our decisions that are going to be made at our state house. Um, and while I was there, you know, I would see constituents come in and, and meet with their representatives and their senators, um, go to testify at various committee hearings um, for or, you know, against certain bills. Um, you know, in New Hampshire, anybody can go there and testify. They just have to show up and sign in and that's it. Um, and so there was this one day that there was I, I was telling Dave about this earlier. There was a cosmetology licensure bill that was you know, being heard. And I think there was a line of about like 100 hairdressers waiting to testify or sign in and support or op opposition, whatever it was, um, for that bill. And it just was so crystal clear to me then and in my time at the state house that, um, you know, it's the people's house and the decisions that are being made there are going to impact us. And that is not limited to abortion. So in abortion, you know, Roe overturning has given it back to the states. There's still obviously going to be decisions made at the federal level. It's given a better latitude to both the federal and state level decisions on abortion. 
but we no longer have that roof that Roe implemented for us to decide abortion regulation in all of our states. Um, and so it's even more important. You're going to be running into your state representatives and your state senators and your grocery stores um, and the hardware store, wherever you are. That's what David's telling me. We were talking about this. I was about to say, I, you I heard, recognize you that heard line. this yeah. before. There yeah. you go. Yeah. That was, and, that was, but it's true. You're going to you you have it's the people's house. You voted for them. These people are your neighbors um, and they're making decisions that are going to change your life um, and have dramatic impacts. Um, so it's so, so, so important to connect with your local legislators. I mean, it just it blows my mind. I mean, if if there's a ton of emails coming into uh, one particular um, legislator who might be on the fence on an issue, maybe they're pretty moderate on the issue of life. And we explain to them, you know, what is going on with a certain bill, maybe that will teeter them in the direction of voting pro-life. So it's so important to use your voice. And if you can't go in in person, call them. If you can't, you know, call, write an email. Um, if you can go in person and testify, great. Um, and talk to your legislator. It's so, so important to do that because they they don't take that lightly. They really do take it to heart. Um, and even if they disagree with you, you know, they're there to listen. They're your representatives. And it's it's important to make your voice heard um, because this is how we're going to continue to build a culture of life. Um, it's part of how we build a culture of life. And it's certainly a, a necessary part. Yeah, I, I don't I certainly don't think the issue was totally settled by the Dobbs decision, the overturning of Roe, because we see that states now have the option to enforce and implement certain laws given how the people vote and how how the people vote on the legislature and then right. how the people might vote for constitutional amendments in certain states. Well, Kansas had a prime example of that where Kansas made a decision that they they were not going to do something. Right. And and that is a place where I think we've always said this, the government that's closest to you has the biggest impact on you. And, and you said that yourself, uh, Aaron, when you talk about the fact that you begin to realize that the decisions that are going to be made at the state and local level are going to hit you a whole lot faster than the ones that are coming from Washington, D.C. And your ability to walk into your state house to meet with your legislator is a whole lot easier mm -hmm. than finding a way to get into figuring out, okay, figuring out which office building they're in in Washington, D.C. Gotta love the Beltway. Uh, you gotta love, yeah, exactly. And then on top of all of that, you can't just walk into the Capitol building in, in Washington, D.C. You cannot you, just walk you into the Capitol building. Not just walk in. But unless, you unless uh, you work for a late night comedian? I'm just saying I, there, I there's this that one. But so when we think about this, Aaron, when you think about people being involved in the pro life movement now, it was said at the conference in Arizona, this isn't the end of Roe. This is just the beginning. What does just the beginning mean for the next generation of pro-life leaders in America? Oh, it means so many things. Um, you know, it was it took so many you know years just to get Roe overturned, um, which was a huge victory. Um, but essentially, in the overturn of Roe and the Dobbs decision, it has opened up the floor for so much more work for the next generation. Um, it means, you know, supporting pregnancy care centers, supporting mothering shelters. It means supporting um, initiatives at the state and local level to support those centers, to support resources to women. 
Um, it means, you know, advocating, uh, like knowing what's going on in your state house. I cannot, you know, overstress the, the necessity of knowing what's going on in your state house, um, because that's where, <laughs> that's where these decisions yeah. are going to be made. Um, and I think our work is seriously cut out for us. Um, and while it's a huge victory that Roe has overturned, um, we are fighting an, an upstream battle. Um, and this is this is the time to not not sit down and, and rest on our laurels. It's the time to get out there and to continue the fight because the other side's not backing down. No, they're not. No, they're not. And that's and that's what we yeah. say here, Dave. What what are the issues? Why do they matter? What does the Bible say about them? And then what can you do about them? And Aaron paints the perfect picture. If if you if you just heard what Aaron said and you're like, wow, I really want to know what's going on in the state house. Good. We have a way you can do that. <laughs> you can download the Palmetto Family Council app. That's the best way to stay connected with what's going on inside the state house here in South Carolina, specifically because we do have new pro-life legislation that's going to be heading into committee in just a couple of weeks and will eventually make it to the floor. And that's something that you need to be aware of. Now, what does the Bible have to say about this? I think I think Aaron's testimony clear. makes it very clear. I think the Bible stands for itself, but Paul writing to the church in Corinth Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain because I can't I can't believe I have to say this, but God is pro-life and any person who tells you that he's not is wrong. That's Period, about full stop, end of quote, repeat the line. There you go. And And that is why it's so important for you to be involved in what's happening here. The, our conversation with Aaron today has just been a, such an it was an encouragement for me the first time I heard it, and that's why I thought it was so important for everybody here on the fastest growing conservative podcast in South Carolina to hear this story because there are Aaron Getz in your community, there are Aaron Getz on every college campus across the state of South Carolina who are looking for an opportunity to stand up for life to recognize the fact that you know what. I'm not going to believe the lie that I've been told that it's just my body, my choice, or there's a separation of church and state, or it's a woman's right to choose because this is really God's, it was God's right and God's decision to put that child exactly where that child was at that moment, at that moment of conception. And it's not just that we are pro-birth. This is about truly being pro-life. This is about life, not only from conception, but all the way through. And so as you are involving yourself in what we do here at Palmetto Family, understand that's the standpoint that we, that we come from. The seven stars of the Palmetto Family logo stand for seven different areas of our society that are so important and that we need you standing on the guardrails of our community, reflecting the light and love of Jesus where God has you. So as you get involved in what's going on, as we look at the pro-life legislation that is going to be moving through South Carolina, we want you to know what's going on. But the most important thing you can do today, not only to be inspired by what you heard from Aaron, but also begin to share this with other people. Because there's somebody else out there today who is sitting there going, I don't necessarily agree with the pro-choice movement, but I don't know why. And as Aaron, you said a minute ago, and, and final words from Aaron on this one, you said a minute ago, take the time to study and, and look for yourself. Ask the tough questions. Final words from Aaron Getz. I think my final words would be, um, if you look at 
the side that is pro-abortion and all of the, you know, protests and rallies they put on. And then you look at the side of those who are on the side of life and you look at, you know, everyone who's coming together to fight for life, which side is their joy? Which side is their joy? Um, That should tell you everything you need to know about who's the right side to be on. Because I can tell you the side of the pro-abortion protesters and advocates is a side of hatred and and animosity. um, And that's not the side I want to be on. No. Aaron Getz, pro-life leader right here. Uh, It's been so great to have you with us today. Thanks so much for for joining us today on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. And for those of you watching, continue to share, continue to subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, we're streaming this on Facebook as well, so make sure you watch it there. But if you're on audio only, leave us that five-star rating. Leave us a review. That way we pop up further up. On, I mean, we have more viewers than reliable sources with Stelter. So you, might just as well just, you might as well keep, just go ahead and, and share it more. Keep going exactly. up. Keep going up. But if you can also share it on Facebook as well. Again, make sure you download that Palmetto Family Council app. That's the best way to stay engaged. We continue to have these conversations about the pro-life movement, right. fighting human trafficking, talking with Congressman Joe Wilson, talking about what's in your children's schools. We're trying to hit the pro-life movement at every angle we can because that's what's important, making sure we are pro-life in every single area, and we know that is what matters to you. So again, for Dave Wilson, for Mitch Prosser, for Kevin Caiello, our entire team at Palmetto Family, I'm Justin Hall. Thank you so much for watching this edition of the fastest-growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters podcast.